Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back, everybody. Here's the catch. It's been a little while since our last episode, but now the 2023 journey is upon us. Training camp, about six practices in. It's heating up with pads having come on a little bit earlier this week. And boy, there is a lot to talk about. This is maybe the most stacked roster in the entire National Football League. And on top of that stacked roster, which essentially makes the 49ers look like a Pro Bowl team at at, at many of these positions, they have a quarterback battle quarterback controversy and really the controversy and battle well the controversy might be everywhere for all three spots if you look at what outsiders are talking about but the battle itself Matt seems to be really focused on the QB2 spot because Brock Purdy is getting all the first team reps at practice I think unless a major slip up there occurs he's going to be their guy to enter the season against Pittsburgh on September 10th but Sam Darnold Trey Lance and Brandon Allen are all duking it out for that number two spot with uh, Trey Lance and, and Sam Darnold obviously having the leg up over Allen. Yeah, and the leg up and, and snaps too. Allen has that uh, number three uh, quarterback snap count, which is very light. But as we saw last year, it doesn't mean that you're out of the running altogether. Uh, Brock Purdy started out as the number three and uh, by mid-slash-late August had overtaken Nate Sudfeld for that role and then booted him off the uh, the regular season roster. So it's possible for, for Brandon Allen, but um, I agree. It's the, the real dogfight seems to be between Sam Darnold and um, Trey Lance. And, and, you know, we should preface this by saying there have been six practices so far. So we're still very early. And I think it's important for us, the, the readers, the listeners, uh, certainly the coaching staff is always kind of reminding themselves to keep an open mind that uh, don't uh, kind of uh, formulate uh, uh, opinions early and not be able to move off of them. Um, and just in these six days, I mean, we've, we've seen some movement. Sam Darnold, I thought, was uh, not just the sharper of the two quarterbacks, but maybe the sharpest of all four in some of those early practices. And then on Monday... Uh, Trey Lance just had a, a really fantastic practice, had three really special throws um, and, um, you know, basically asserted himself on that day. And um, as we were discussing before we came on the air, that's what he needs. He needs consistency. Uh, he needs to have that sort of practice with no missed throws, getting the easy ones, hitting the layups every day of the week. And, um, you know, if he does that, then... Maybe he holds on to that number two spot. 
Yeah, that Monday practice from Trey Lance I thought was his best training camp practice in a 49ers uniform, not just in the limited sample of this year, but going back to 2021 and 2022, I couldn't remember a better one. I remember in 2021, he had a couple early practices where he hit a deep ball or two and everybody was ooing and aahing on the sideline. But as far as playing the position, sitting back there, surveying the defense, carving up the defense with precise intermediate passes and also hitting the gimmies, I thought that by far his best practice was on Monday because at the end of the session, they did a move the ball drill with a two-minute clock. The, the clock wasn't up on the board, but you could tell they were hurrying up the offense. So he actually had to execute. He actually had to manage the offense. And he made a throw to Ray Ray McLeod, who was coming out on the slant pattern and was blanketed in coverage. There wasn't a lot of room. He made that throw about 15 yards over the intermediate portion of the field right where it had to be. McLeod went down on a knee to make the catch. Next play, Tay Martin near the sideline set up the, the what, 57-yard field goal. I think that was Zane Gonzalez that drilled it to end practice. So uh, Trey Lance was in command on Monday. The problem is that the the previous practice that we saw from him, he had missed two really short throws. One was a little harder than the other because there's a guy in his face, but it's still a throw that Kyle Shanahan is going to require his quarterback to make. It was a a five-yard pass into the right flat. And then the very next practice after the really good one on Monday, on Tuesday, Lance was four of six, but the two misses again were uh, throws at point-blank range. And Matt, the, the bread and butter of any coach's offense, but especially Kyle Shanahan's offense, are going to be is is the short game these these short bootleg throws the ones where you roll right coming off the fake handoff you have George Kittle leaking out into the flat or a running back out there any tight end out there you've got to be able to hit those because the difference between first and uh, the difference between second and four and and second and ten is is really really big second and ten puts a whole lot more pressure on everybody including Lance right so to keep the line moving it might not be sexy but the the short game has to be near automatic and I don't think it's near automatic yet for Trey Lance one day he'll be awesome and you'll hit everything and the next day he won't hit everything and like you said the 49ers need to see that consistency from him they need to see that floor be a little bit higher yeah, you're right. I mean, um, the big big part of this offense, and we've seen it in these these training camp practices, is um, throws to the running backs. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is on this team now, and this whole offense is really I don't want to say dictated by Christian McCaffrey, but it's it's been kind of streamlined to fit his skill set. So that means a, a lot of throws to McCaffrey, and when he's not in, it's uh, Elijah Mitchell who's getting a lot of targets. Ty Davis Price and, and uh, Jordan Mason are getting the same, and even even the rookies, uh, the two undrafted guys, uh, Kalen Laborn and uh, Ronald Awat, with that thirteen group, are getting a lot of targets. So um, it's not just hitting those guys; it's hitting those guys in stride. And um, yeah, absolutely, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is really scrutinizing that, and that's what you know. That's what you know when they've been saying over and over again the past three seasons that Trey Lance needs reps, Trey Lance needs reps. It's those types of things. Um, It's getting the footwork. It's getting all of that in sync so that those throws are close to automatic. And um, you're right, we're not at the automatic part, but um, there there does seem to be a comfort level and accuracy um, in a lot of Trey Lance's throws that uh, maybe we haven't seen before. So that's that's what we're going to have to 
look at from week two on out. Um, they go to uh, Las Vegas next week to scrimmage against the Raiders. Can that uh, continue to increase, uh, and can he find that consistency Right now, what is he, uh, David, at a 64% completion rate? Yeah, he's over 60%, and this is the first time that he's been over 60% in, in a training camp. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I really feel like that's uh, I, I, it's a very broad brush, and it's not going to tell the whole story. But that that's a marker, I think. You, you need to be over 60% if you're an NFL quarterback. Um, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, two guys that really ran the ball well were around that 60% mark uh, for, for much of their careers because they had so much else that they could offer. Um, but uh, in this day and age, uh, I think you need to be over 60%. We're, see- we're seeing some guys get over 70% now. That's how automatic some of these QBs are. So um, if, if Trey Lance, I think, can uh, continue that uh, the mark that he's got now, maybe – inch it up a, a couple of percentage points, I think that that kind of tells you a, a pretty good portion of the uh, summer story for him. Yeah, I mean, I can count, I think, five passes that should have been relatively easy completions that he's missed this training camp. You add those five, or if yeah. you complete four of those five, he's he's near 70%, right? So, And that's exactly where the 49ers would want him to be. At that point, it's a QB1 discussion. At the, you know, he, he's actually firmly challenging Brock Purdy if that's what happens, if he's able to deliver on the short game in that way. So for Trey Lance, I think it's it comes back to the mechanics that he and Jeff Christensen were working on an offseason. Jeff Christensen is a short game specialist. So he's he's working on those quick releases. Anybody who has worked with Jeff Christensen in the past has developed a quicker, tighter release. Jimmy Garoppolo was one of his earlier clients, and Patrick Mahomes is on the list. And Patrick Mahomes had to rework a lot of what he did when he initially joined the Chiefs, and now he works with Jeff Christensen to keep the mechanical improvements up. So I think that Trey Lance did a lot of necessary work this offseason. The key has been to carry that work and carry those improvements that he's made over from the lab into actual live action. And we haven't reached fully live action yet. Quarterback can't be touched in training camp. That won't happen until preseason. But I do think, and I think the 49ers think, that Trey Lance has successfully ported some of the mechanical improvements from the lab to the practice field, which is a big first step. It's just going to be a long process. It's not going to be all solved overnight. You have to remember how this has worked for Trey Lance over the course of his NFL career. He came in in 2021 really raw out of North Dakota State. When he was so raw at North Dakota State, Trey Lance, I mean, he had to more throws. He needed more throws with the 49ers in 2021. He started to get some of those throws, but because of the rawness, the 49ers were in a position where they had to sit him on the bench for a year. They gave Trey Lance some package play. Unfortunately, he broke his finger in some of that package play. That was week three against the Raiders in the preseason. That broken finger derailed him for that entire season. The 49ers weren't able to give him the reps that they wanted. They weren't able to creatively mix Trey Lance into the offense because his finger was broken. He wasn't able to properly bend it. And the after effects of that lasted into the 2022 offseason. By the time he was fully healthy in 2022, after 
after he'd finished doing all that catch-up, Trey Lance got hurt in week two against the Seattle Seahawks. He fractured his ankle. So he's needed more time. He's needed more reps. And he's finally getting some of that time and some of those reps now. But in the interim, while we were all waiting for Trey Lance to return, Brock Purdy emerged, right, Matt? And because of the timing of all this, it's created this weird situation in which Trey Lance is no longer the prized pick who the 49ers are dedicating all of this time and all these resources to. They have to focus a little bit more on the now because Brock Purdy has proven that he could be really good in the now, but they're still trying to yield the most out of Trey Lance. And I think that some of that development project is actually turning out some promising results so far here early in training camp. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's um, absolutely safe to say that Trey Lance is not as far along as the 49ers thought he would be at this point, and it's due to injury. (laughs) Missed basically a full season of development. And in the interim, they saw Brock Purdy work this offense the way that that Kyle Shanahan wants it to be worked. And so you've got a, uh, you know, bird in the hand versus two in the bush situation. You you have to go with the proven commodity. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Trey Lance is, is terrible and everything else you read on social media. It just means that his development was interrupted and it's still going to take time for him. Um, and, and it's interesting because it's a much different approach to him than uh, they've, they've had. I mean, he was the guy last year. He was the guy taking, you know, 16, 20 reps in a practice instead of the, you know, the, the, the six to, to eight that he's getting now. So um, there's more pressure. Uh, there's no margin for error. Uh, anymore. Not only that, but he's got this other guy, Sam Darnold, breathing down his neck for that number two spot. So everything is um, is, is is putting uh, Trey Lance under a an amount of pressure that he really hasn't had to this point. And maybe that's what you need, what he needs. I mean, that was the the formula for for Brock Purdy last year. Very small amount of snaps, no margin for error. He made the most of what he was getting. Uh, Brian Greasy kind of said something similar. I asked about, you know, any way that these guys can augment their scant amount of snaps. Either, you know, sometimes they do virtual reality. Sometimes they, you know, work with uh, receivers after practice. And he sort of sloughed off the question. He said, you know, everybody's getting the same number of snaps. It's just that some of them are mental snaps. So, what he's saying is that you don't take a, a break during a practice, even if it's Brandon Allen taking the snap. So um, it's uh, it's sink or swim time for uh, for Trey Lance, and uh, you know the, the the positive part is that he appears to be swimming uh, more than he is sinking so far. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds. You mentioned the joint practices against the Raiders next week. I mean, I couldn't think of a, a better script, right? You have Jimmy Garoppolo on one side against the 49ers defense this time. So that's going to provide a measuring stick of sorts for these 49ers quarterbacks. I know it's not going to be apples to apples because Garoppolo is going to be working with a, a different group of talent than the 49ers offense in a Raiders uniform now. But still, he gets to face the 49ers defense that's been giving these 49ers quarterbacks trouble in practice. That being said, after the first couple of days of practice, which you know were definitely won by the defense and the 49ers QBs were completing only about 40% of their passes, uh, as of late, the last few practices, Matt, 
that the the completions have been much more plentiful. And I think that this is how camp usually goes, especially against a good defense. It's going to be ahead of the offense early on, but it, you would like to see your offense gain its footing. And the 49ers, regardless of who's been in there, quarterbacks seem to have found some of their offensive footing. That being said, we, we should highlight the defense, and we need to start with its best player, who isn't at training camp right now. It's Nick Bosa. Bosa is holding out while he awaits his new contract. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of panic on the 49ers side about this. Uh, they obviously hold ultimate leverage here because Bosa's under contract for $17.9 million this year. But he wants a new deal, and, and he might want the biggest deal in NFL history for a defensive player, although that hasn't been confirmed yet. But I think that might be at the center of uh, some of these negotiations because it is a tricky tricky negotiation considering the fact that the top paid edge rusher is TJ Watt at 28 million per year and the top paid defender is Aaron Donald at 31.7 million per year. There's a big gap there and we've long wondered if Bosa's contract would come in above Watts or above Watts and Donald's, right? If he would completely bridge that gap of about $3.7 million annually between Watt and Donald. And I'll tell you what, it matters to the 49ers because they already have a very crowded cap situation in 2024. So when every million matters and you consider that a $3.7 million gap extrapolated over five years of a contract can mean 15 to $20 million. Uh, obviously, th this is going to be a contentious negotiation because the 49ers are looking out for their own roster to try to keep this as sustainable as possible while Bosa's trying to cash in. He's the reigning defensive player of the year. And you know th there may not be a better time than now to argue for the top defensive money in the game. Yeah, I'm, I don't see how... <laughs> How the 49ers can avoid paying him um, less than what Aaron Donald's making. Uh, as you note, he's the best defensive player in the league. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. I mean, I, I always kind of roll my eyes during these these situations. Uh, um, you know, it just uh, uh, it, it seems obvious what they need to pay him. You know, you can. Um, you can organize it any way you want, but uh, the, the bottom line is that he was the best player in the league last year. You need to pay him as such. Uh, so I don't, I don't quite understand what the uh, what the ultimate holdup is. I mean, I certainly understand their um, their salary cap issues in coming years, but they've known for several years now that this was coming. Um, certainly after Bosa's uh, incredible 2022 campaign. Um, this is a guy who does everything right. I mean, uh, treats his body like a temple, comes in um, ready to go every offseason, uh, is a great teammate, you know, sits down. You've, you've documented this, has, has these uh, sort of um, uh, brainstorming sessions, uh, debriefing sessions with Trent Williams, which is valuable to both guys, valuable to everybody else at those positions. Uh, what what they're missing right now? I mean, I think the guy who's uh, the biggest loser in all of this is Colton McKivitz, because uh, Colton McKivitz could really stand to get the sharpening that he would get from having to go against Nick Bosa. I don't know, uh, ten times a practice. Uh, that's valuable reps for somebody who's coming into that uh, that right tackle spot uh, as the starter for the first time in his career. So. Um, 
that's what the 49ers are missing. Uh, McKivitz will get some of that when he gets uh, gets to Las Vegas or Henderson, Nevada to, to p- play the, the Raiders. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the missing element so far in 49ers training camp. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Nick Bosa is such an impactful player. The 49ers signed another big ticket impact guy this offseason and Javon Hargrave to pair with Bosa. So it's going to be fun to see both of those players next to each other. But still, the, the defensive line, I think, has has raised some eyebrows with its play. It's it, at times has overwhelmed the 49ers offensive line. It's hard to track sacks and and that in practice because you can't touch the quarterback and the QB doesn't have a fair chance to really get away as a result. So we kind of say, okay, that might have been a sack, but I can for sure say that I've seen a lot of pressure. But the hinge point of this 49ers defense, Matt, might be on the defensive end position opposite Nick Bosa. And Drake Jackson has showed up this season 15 to 20 pounds heavier than last year in a good way, a lot of muscle. Uh, the way to prove that it was a good way might have been the zone drop that he executed on Sunday. 49ers ran a zone blitz. You don't like the you kind of get caught with your pants down in a zone blitz if if the opposing team leaks a running back out of the backfield because that means your defensive end who's dropping in the zone blitz has to cover him. And it just so happened the 49ers sent their fastest running back, Elijah Mitchell, out of the backfield on a little wheel route, and Drake Jackson had to cover him, and Drake Jackson had just added those 15 pounds. Drake Jackson completely blanketed Elijah Mitchell. So Drake Jackson at 260-plus was stride for stride with Elijah Mitchell, and Trey Lance's throw ended up hitting Drake Jackson in the back of the jersey. That, to me, was maybe one of the most impressive plays at training camp because we know that Drake Jackson can still move even at the heavier weight, and that's really, really promising news for the 49ers. Yeah, I think it's clear that uh, Drake Jackson not only is a- athletic and, and really kind of has a, you know, a, a Gumby-like ability. I mean, he's a guy that does backflips and has incredible flexibility. I, I think he's a smart guy, too. Um, you know, he obviously wasn't fooled on that play. He knew what his assignment was. But the bigger picture is that he, he knew what his shortcoming was as a rookie, and he attacked it in, in this offseason. And I think that has to really hearten the 49ers and make them feel good about making uh, him their, their top pick uh, in 2022. I mean, it, it, it's obvious that they see Nick Bosa and Drake Jackson as their, their, their future ends. My question is, um, who's the, the week one starter? Is it going to be Drake Jackson or, or Cleveland Farrell? Because I, I feel like Farrell has been the better pass rusher of the two. I mean, I, I'm always writing down 94 sack. 
um, uh, you know, starting in the spring and these last few practices, it was, uh, I think it was Farrell who got to Brock Purdy and knocked the ball out of his hand. <laughs> I think, I don't think uh, Kyle Shanahan liked that scenario very much, given how similar it was to the Hassan Reddick scenario back in January. But, um, it, you know, it, it was Farrell sort of infiltrating the pocket there. And he got Trey Lance yesterday. He actually ran into poor uh, Doc Dressler, one of the uh, equipment guys uh, in the backfield. Um, but uh, Farrell's been disruptive. I don't think he's as physically gifted as Drake Jackson. He's he's a, a more of a savvy vet just because he is. He's got more experience. And so that's, that's, a, that's a nice competition, I think, to have for the 49ers. Uh, because it's going to squeeze one of those guys to the top. Um, but right now, I, I give the edge to uh, Cleveland Farrell uh, being the uh, the week one starter at that spot and Drake Jackson maybe being the guy who comes in on obvious passing downs. Chris Kosarek talked about the fact that he is always going to stay true to a deep rotation at defensive line, even though this year he's dealing with a more top-heavy group than last year with Bosa, Hargrave, Armstead up front. It, it, and, you know, Javon Kinlaw is somebody we need to talk about too because he seems to be performing really well now that he's been healthy for nearly a year. But even with the prospect of having such a top-heavy line, Chris Kosarek said that he really wants to come in waves. So I think, you know, when we talk about who's going to start, who's going to play, all of the above. And the more the merrier because if Chris Kosarek can field a unit of of nine or 10 defensive linemen who are all capable of delivering at the level that he wants them to to deliver. He sees that as a way to make sure that the 49ers can keep their foot firmly on the gas pedal intensity-wise for a full 20-game season. And I say 20 because that's the amount of games they've played in each of the past two years. And it's not easy for especially players at these really physical positions like the defensive line, it's not easy for them to deliver at the level the 49ers need them to deliver at, which is 100% GTFO. We know what that means, right? Chris Kosarek wants them to get off the ball with reckless abandon. It's not easy to play at that kind of effort and that kind of intensity for such a long season if the rotation is too thin, which is why he loves coming in waves. So as long as a player proves himself capable of playing at the intensity and, and with the quality of play that Chris Kosarek is going to want out of this defensive line, I think he's going to get a shot at at least a couple hundred snaps this year. And if that happens and if people stay healthy, uh, then the 49ers will be able to execute the vision, which is peaking at the right time. Having the type of intensity that most teams can only dream of having in week one or week two, having that type of intensity in week 17 and then into the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Javon Kinlaw because um, as good as uh, Javon Hargrave has been, it, it's been Kinlaw who's just dominated these uh, one-on-one pass rush drills with the offensive line. And there, there's just been two days worth. Uh, but uh, on, on the first day, Kinlaw was by far and away the, the highlight. Uh, um, he was blowing guys backward, uh, which is what he's he's done in the past. But uh, there, there's a new element to his pass rush, which is he's he's slimmer, he's sleeker, uh, he's quicker, and he's able to kind of uh, use that quickness to get around guys more. He even took David a pass rush at yeah. right defensive end, yeah. uh, and he beat the the tackle. It was uh, Leroy Watson, so a guy who's uh, doing a little bit of learning himself. So it wasn't like he was beating 
uh, Trent Williams uh, around the edge. But still, the fact that they would even line him up there just kind of uh, underscores where he is um, in his uh, uh, physique and uh, his ability to move and, and how that knee is feeling. And, and so I, I think that's a big deal. This is a contract year for him. They didn't pick up the fifth-year option. I think everybody understood why. Um, it's a guy that's, that's dealt with knee issues basically every season of his career so far. But um, that, that pressure, the, um, the uh, desire to prove yourself in your contract year, plus all the w- work that he's put in, it, it seems to be shaping up for a very special year for Javon Kinlaw. I think so, but he just has to stay healthy. And I talked to Chris Kosarek about that as well. And Chris Kosarek is passionate about this issue. He says that Kinlaw has put in so much work behind the scenes. And Kosarek doesn't talk like this about everybody. I mean, he's he's a very honest guy. He's a really good interview. And you could tell in his eyes when he's talking about Javon Kinlaw that he really thinks that he deserves to see some light at the end of the tunnel based on all that he's been through. I mean, we can recap it. He shows up in 2020. Uh, was improving throughout that year, but suffered a severe knee injury late in that season against the Cowboys. It, it seems that they didn't really get a firm beat on what, what exactly was wrong until week eight or week nine of the 2021 following season when they shut Kinlaw down for the year and he had to undergo the ACL reconstruction. And then he tried to come back in 2022 from major ACL reconstruction and just wasn't quite able to, to get the fluid levels in the knee down. The, the swelling kept on building back up to the point where they shut him down for most of the year. He came back at the very end, but obviously wasn't fully himself yet. So th- we are now in the longest uninterrupted stretch of Javon Kinlaw's NFL career, uninterrupted by injury concerns. He's been healthy now and able to train and work on his craft for nearly a year. So the 49ers are optimistic that because of this ability uh, to, to stay healthy for this longer stretch of time, they think he can carry it over into the regular season. Now, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be up to chance, right? But uh, you could certainly tell that, that this team and this coaching staff is pulling really hard for Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, and, um, you know, he's going to lead that, that wave of second teamers. I mean, uh, uh, if, if Kacerik wants to lean on that Bravo unit, maybe a little bit more than they did last year, I feel like Kinlaw is going to end up being the most talented member of that unit. And maybe it's Kinlaw and Drake Jackson, or maybe it's Kinlaw and Cleveland Farrell. But, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty good, either way, it's a good foundation for a backup line. And that's going to give uh, Kacerik, I think, more confidence to, to go heavy with that line as well. Um, to your point, so that they can they can um, be fresh going into early January, late January, and hopefully for them um, mid February. Uh, so it's a good problem to have. Absolutely is. How about the other spots on on this uh, defense? Linebacker Matt is I think the best core in the league with Fred Warner and. Trey Greenlaw, but that third spot, it's up for grabs because he's, he's Al Shire left in free agency. So far, I've been impressed with Marcelino McCrary Ball, had a couple pass breakups, dropped the 
what should have been an interception from Brock Purdy the other day at practice. But D. Winters has also started to make some plays. He broke up a pass, nice, good anticipation, which is what we saw from him on his TCU college tape. He really hopped into the flat to knock away a pass from Sam Darnold in the red zone. So these youngsters, Jalen Graham, D. Winters, they're going to have a chance to, at that third linebacker spot. It's a nice, you know, I don't want to say an easy entry into the league, but it, it's it's one of those positions where you can make a more graceful entry as a rookie because the third linebacker is only out there for about 30% of the snaps. So second-year man, Marcelino McCrary Ball, first-year sixth-round pick D. Winters or seventh-round pick Jalen Graham, uh, they, they all seem to be possibilities for some playing time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw Aziz Alshair do that in, in 2019. He kind of, kind of came out of nowhere. Undrafted guy, was coming off an ACL. Nobody expected much from him. And he uh, he tore it up in, in the training camp and especially in the preseason. So that'll be fun to watch uh, to see which one of these guys really kind of pops. Um, I talked to Johnny Holland, the linebackers coach. You could tell how fond he is of McCrary Ball. Um, and, and McCreary Ball is one of several guys who played sort of that, that hybrid safety nickel linebacker role. A lot, a lot of colleges call it the star position, uh, which means that he's got some back end experience. He's got experience covering guys. Uh, you have to be fast in order to play that role. And so that's what that Sam spot is, is looking for. You're basically... You know, when the Sam comes off the field, the nickel cornerback uh, goes on the field. So they, they basically have the same role. Uh, you have to be able to go sideline to sideline. You have to be able to cover. Sometimes they come off the edge. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but uh, he seems kind of custom made for it. And I agree with you with, with Winters. He had to play at the line of scrimmage, a tackle, quote unquote tackle. They're not allowed to really tackle. But uh, one where you had to kind of check your roster because you're wondering, oh, wait, was that Trey Greenlaw or was that D. Winters? Because they do have sort of a, a similar profile, a similar physique, um, and uh, they're low to the ground and they're fast, basically. And so I think that's, that's exactly what caught the 49ers' eye with D. Winters, and uh, I'm sure they're, they're, they're very happy to be kind of seeing some of the things on the field that they uh, projected uh, back in April when they drafted him. And then the third guy you mentioned, Jalen Graham, he's been lining up at, at middle linebacker, which to me is significant for a rookie. Um, you rarely see that. Uh, it's, it's with the third group, of course, and so it's not a huge deal, but it tells me that this, this kid has picked up the defense quickly enough that he's able to basically call the plays, uh, receive the plays from the coach, line everybody up. Um, it just uh, denotes trust and the fact that he's sharp. Uh, so, I mean, who makes the team? Who, who actually gets into games? Um, I think special teams for that trio that we just mentioned is going to be paramount. And, um, you know, all, all three have wheels. Uh, D. Winters has probably the best wheels of that group. Uh, but uh, that'll be fun to watch. Um, uh, it, it, it's a uh, it's a crowded position, crowded position by design, and I think the 49ers have to be really happy with all the uh, the the very young guys at it, and that's uh, Jalen Graham, D. Winters, and Marcelino McCrary Ball. Let's flip it over to the offensive side of the football because, you know, we, we talk a little bit about Colton McKivitz. He said that he obviously would benefit from Nick Bosa being in camp just 
through sharpening his skill against one of the best in the game. Uh, To me, the offensive line is in an interesting spot because they, you know, at this time last year, there was a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of worry about this group because they're going to break in an entirely new interior. Aaron Banks at left guard, Jake Brendel at center, a rookie last year, Spencer Burford at right guard. And they ended up acquitting themselves really well. You know, all things told, that offensive line was a top 10 unit in pass protection during the regular season. They improved in run blocking as the season went along. But ultimately, they did run into a wall in the playoffs. When they faced the elite pass rushes, the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, they did look a whole lot worse. So it was possible to be optimistic coming out of last season about the offensive line uh, because of the progress that they made in the regular season in pass protection. But you also uh, could clearly see they, they still had another step to take. Uh, can they take that step this next year? Because now the interior line is not three first-year starters. All these guys have been playing together for a year. That's a big boost. Trent Williams is still Trent Williams. And then you got Colton McKivitz at right tackle. And one thing, Matt, about Colton McKivitz is, yes, first-year starter. Yes, the cap hit is only $1.5 million, But also, yes, he might be a better pass protector than Mike McGlinchey. He's not going to be a better run blocker, but he might be a better pass protector. And to me, that's a big deal because if this all falls into place the way the 49ers think it will, uh, this offensive line might be able to take them to the next level. Yeah, I mean, on paper, you would think that um, the aggregate is that they take a step forward uh, just based on on the youth and the the relative inexperience that they had at this point last year. Um, you know, I, I think they're, they're right about McKivitz. Um, again, this is without Nick Bosa, but McKibbins has looked good in, in pass protection so far. Um, you know, it's uh, there have been a couple of lapses in 11-on-11, but the one-on-one stuff, he's basically undefeated. Again, just two days worth. Um, the, the Las Vegas uh, practices are going to be really telling uh, for him as well, but um, you know, he, he's somebody who's used to this scenario. He had it at West Virginia, kind of got thrust into uh, the starting lineup as, as a freshman and um, had to learn on the fly and um, it just uh, became a, a real kind of uh, true leader on that team over the years. Uh, so he's used to responsibility. He's known about this for six months now. Uh, more than that, uh, seven months or, or so. So um, he just seems like a guy who is not going to be overwhelmed by the responsibility. Uh, so um, you know that's that that's that's what that's what it looks like on paper. Sometimes second year players or second year starters can can take a step backward. Uh, it, it's hard to see that with Banks. It's hard to see that with. Uh, Jake Brendel, who's, you know, I think he's almost 30 years old, if not 30. Um, and um, I thought that Spencer Burford has been playing great so far. Uh, I was really impressed by Spencer Burford last year. A really kind of eager, uh, smart guy. And um, to me, he's the, the most physically talented right guard that they've had since uh, Shanahan and Lynch took over. I mean, <laughs> they've, they've pretty much tried to scrimp at that position Every year until last year, when they when they put a, a draft pick, a guy who played tackle in college, at that spot, and um, you know they put a little bit of a, an investment in it, and I think those that investment is going to pay off very nicely for them. 
Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that second-year jump from Spencer Burford because he certainly has his head on, right? I mean, anybody who works with Trent Williams in the offseason as an offensive lineman, you're probably going to get better just if you listen 5% of the time. And I'm sure that Spencer Burford, after I really got to know him pretty well last year talking after games. He's listening 100% of the time. I mean, he is just a student of the game. He was tossing around college defenders like a ragdoll playing tackle over there at San Antonio, UTSA. And, you know, the book on him coming out of college, and I think this is just, laziness sometimes and you see some of these scouting reports was oh he's gonna have to work on his strength he's not gonna be able to play for a couple years if you just put on the tape at college uh, the guy did not need to work on his strength he was way too strong for that level of course you have to be stronger at the nfl level but i I just think that he had an unfair tag put on him because of the fact that he went to utsa which obviously was a, a smaller conference school than your typical power five school but lo and behold burford held his own as, as a first-year starter at the NFL. So I think those scouting reports uh, were, a lot of those scouting reports were proven to be wrong. Elsewhere on the offense, Matt, the biggest star of training camp, offensively at least in my opinion, well, there have been two really big ones. Uh, Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, it's almost like automatic. He's this energizer bunny, never shuts it off, catches big touchdowns. Every single time he touches the ball, feels like he could squirt through for a big gain. I mean, he is just a pro's pro. Anthony Lynn told me that, uh, he thought that Christian McCaffrey was game ready uh, at OTAs, and and he wasn't kidding. Like, and I, I saw him at OTAs; he looked game ready there. But Brandon Ayuk, uh, we had this practice that we watched the other day. Uh, you know, three touchdowns in the red zone, and then he caught one that was like a seventy-yard touchdown. They just couldn't cover him on the crossers. And it's tough because Charvarius Ward has missed a little bit of time. He's had a bit of a groin issue for the 49ers defense. So Ambry Thomas has had to be in there as the first team corner instead of Charvarius. And the 49ers have just picked on poor Ambry with Brandon Ayuk, who is eligible for a new contract now, probably won't sign one until next offseason. But it seems to me that with each passing day, Matt, that, that price tag is growing higher because of what Ayuk is doing out on the field. Yeah, he's the the quarterback's uh, slump breaker. If if you're a 49ers quarterback and you've had a couple of uh, bad series, then the next one you're you're looking for Brandon Ayuk as as soon as he's out there. And you're right, the crossers. Um, anytime he's working against a, a nickel cornerback, uh, if he works out of the slot, I mean that's such an advantage for the receiver. You can go left, you can go right. You're not uh, you have no boundary to sort of hem you in. And he's been lights out in those situations. And uh, it's, a, it's a gimme uh, a lot of times. And, um, you know, he, he's so elastic. He's got long arms, uh, great catching radius. We saw a tremend- tremendous catch by um, Juwan Jennings the other day. I think it was on a Sam Darnold throw across the middle. Uh, well covered, and D- Darnold just fired that thing high and uh, a little bit outside of Jennings, and he reached up and, and grabbed it. He's, he's 6'3", with long arms, um, and I think the only other receiver that could have caught that pass on this team is, is Brandon Ayuk, just because he's a leaper, and he also has sort of that uh, those long arms and that nice catch rate radius. So my point is that he gives the QBs a lot of confidence to throw in his direction. He, he bails them out on some bad passes sometimes as well. And that's that's what you want. I mean, that's that's a, that's why that's how you become a quarterback's best friend. That you make them look really good, and you sort of you sort of pad that uh, that stat line. Maybe uh, some Brandon Ayuk uh, catches will help Trey Lance get over that that sixty percent hump 
this uh, this summer. But he's been good. I agree with you on McCaffrey. I thought um, uh, Elijah Mitchell has has looked good. He was a question mark in my mind. The last time we saw him in the spring, he was uh, you know working through some sort of injury, which is. Uh, the book on uh, Elijah Mitchell so far, but he's looked um, he's looked peppy. Um, he's comfortable out there. Um, he's one of these guys, uh, one of these tailbacks, catching not just little dump offs and little uh, crossing routes, but some you know down the seam throws as well. Um, and uh, that would be a real mismatch, I think, if uh, if they try if uh, opponents try to cover Christian McCaffrey and. Elijah Mitchell with uh, with linebackers this year. Well, there's so much to talk about on this 49ers roster. We'll be able to talk about it all throughout the course of this season. We're just getting started. This has been the reintroduction for the 2023 season of Here's the Catch. So be sure to tune in next time. We'll be with you again during this training camp session, probably with a lot of live rooms as well this year. So you'll be able to ask your great questions and we'll be able to answer them. Anyway, for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on Here's the Catch.